0: Well, good morning, Crossroads, or I guess I should say good morning, good afternoon, and good night, uh, depending on when you're listening to this. It's a little bit of a, of a different thing here for us. Never had a situation like this in my lifetime, which isn't saying much because I'm young, but uh, we haven't had a situation like this in Wes's lifetime either, which is saying something because he's old. <laughs> Anyways, um, it's not ideal. We didn't take this decision lightly to, to cancel service, and yet we recognize, we say this often, Wes and I firmly believe, your elders believe, um, we are not the church because we have a Sunday morning service. Uh, the Bible says do not neglect meeting together, uh, which we really try and do, uh, but I think this is a rare occasion where uh, for the good of, of those, uh, the least of these in our community, the elderly, uh, just looking out for them and trying to be a team player with uh, the medical profession and our hospitals and we just really don't want to overwhelm um, our our medical systems and our hospitals like like we have over in in Italy. So we thought, at least for this Sunday, it was best to to hold off from gathering corporately, uh, but we're still encouraging small groups to get together and honestly use this as an opportunity to invite uh, friends, family. family member from our church members over for dinner, board games, whatever. Use us an opportunity to, to be the church sort of scattered. We're not going to neglect meeting together. We're just going to not meet together in as big of a group this week, and then we'll kind of play it by ear from here on out. So that's kind of what we're thinking. If you have any questions or concerns, please don't hesitate to call Wes or myself. We are available. Our church office will be open. We're obviously not going to stop doing ministry and caring for people. We're going to continue to do that. Uh, we're just trying to limit. Uh, we're trying to limit the big, big gathering where the virus could spread more rapidly. So that's what we know. That's kind of what we're doing. Uh, with that in mind, and kind of behind us, we want to kick off a new series here starting today. We're going to look at Holy Week. We realize many of you have grown up in very liturgical churches, whether that be Catholic or Lutheran or maybe Methodist. And maybe you grew up hearing about Palm Sunday or the Triumphal Entry or um, Holy Saturday, Maundy Thursday, those type of things. And so kind of like what we did with the Lord's Prayer uh, where we took something that was pretty familiar to all of us and then dove, dove deep into it to try and really understand what it's about and hopefully be encouraged and uh, our our faith uh, deepen our faith so that we're not just going through rote tradition but that the things that we do have meaning and significance and importance and so, That's our plan for the next several weeks. Here is to look at Holy Week, which would be, I believe, the eight days of Jesus leading up to his crucifixion and then resurrection. And we're going to dive deep into those and look at the different passages that correspond with the different days. And so today, Wes is going to walk us through the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday and uh, help us understand what we are to do when Jesus does not meet our expectations. So I'm looking forward to. Listening to that with you all, and uh, I want to pray before we get started. Father, thank you, thank you that you're a God who is in control. I know this past week has been kind of crazy. The media seems out of control. If you go through Walmart and you see the the uh, aisles just completely empty, it seems like our community and uh, I, I really the the world is, is kind of losing their mind with the threat of this virus. Lord, it uh, it does call into question and uh, bring to the forefront of our minds the reality that uh, that death is coming. It's coming for all of us, and that can be a scary thing, but we rejoice for the faith and the hope that you've given us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that we don't have to fear um, death from a virus or a car accident or an atomic bomb or any one of those things, that we can continue to live life, that we can love our neighbors, that we can do our part to care for the people that can't care for themselves because we have a God who loves us and has made a way for us to escape death, that you've given us the hope of eternal life, and and Lord, uh, uh, the coronavirus is not the only thing we should be worried about. Lord, sin is really the the ultimate concern, and honestly, the coronavirus is uh, is a result of living in a fallen and, and sinful world. And so, Lord, we don't want to be panicky. We don't want to live our life in fear. We want to live in the confident hope that you are in control, that you love us, that you have a plan for us, and so we uh, come together digitally lord uh, now to to make that statement you've given us common sense and so we praise you for that lord we want to do our part to be wise and so i just pray that you continue to give us wisdom in uh, how we operate how we function as a church uh, and that you'd encourage us i pray that this time uh, away from our corporate gathering would be used well that we would love our neighbors and check in on our elderly neighbors and get them groceries and have people over and practice hospitality and that it would just be a good reminder that uh, the church isn't a building and the church is not a service on sunday it is far more than that is the people of god loving those uh, who are the least in the community and loving another one another well so i pray lord that you use west this morning or the afternoon or this evening whenever we're listening to encourage us with your word as we think about palm sunday and uh, the person of Christ. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.
1: Thank you, Levi, and I uh, want to thank anyone who's listening right now. Uh, most of you are probably a part of Crossroads Church, but if you're not a part of Crossroads and you happen to be listening, uh, we welcome you. Uh, a couple of things you might want to note, I think Levi was going to have the ability to put the uh, the bulletin on the uh, the website, and that might have some notes on the back for you. You may also want to just push pause at this point and grab your Bible, Uh, or your phone or tablet, and turn to Matthew chapter 21. Uh, That'll be where our our text is found as well. So uh, thanks for being here. I've enjoyed preparing for this this message. It's been good in my life, and I I trust and pray that it will will be beneficial to you as well. As we begin, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had a time in life when you expected one thing and got another? A time when your expectations weren't met? Maybe you picked up a bag of those fun-sized candy bars and opened the bag, and after you did, you realized that fun-sized candy bars really aren't so fun because they're actually less than a half a bite of candy bar. Unmet expectations. I've actually said for a long time that I think the king-sized candy bar should be called fun-sized. Or ladies, maybe you've ordered a new dress because it looks great, on the supermodel wearing it on the advertisement in Amazon, but when it comes in the mail, it just doesn't quite look as good on you. Unmet expectations. Men, on a Saturday morning, you pull into the auto care center in town that advertises quick lube oil changes, only to find out that they have a single employee working to do all of those oil changes, and it could be three hours before they get to your car. Unmet expectations. This one might be a little more relevant. You make a hotel reservation in Columbus to go to a girls' state basketball game, and fans are not allowed to come in because of a virus. Unmet expectations. It's actually been said that expectation is the mother of disappointment. Expectation is the mother of disappointment. Disappointment. There are countless times in life when we don't quite get what we expected. Thankfully, many of these times our expectations go unmet are really not that big a deal. However, there are times when unmet expectations impact our lives in a much more significant way. Like when you go in early and stay late at work for 15 years, working toward the promotion that you were led to believe was yours, only to watch it go to someone else. Unmet expectations. Or you spend 18 and more years of your life pouring everything you have into raising your child so that they have a healthy and a productive life, only to watch them move in a direction that seems anything but healthy or productive. Unmet expectations. If we're honest, we could add this one to the list of unmet expectations. Year after year, you go to church, you pray, you read your Bible, you're generous with others. You're not perfect, but you do what you can to live your life in a God-honoring way, and for no explainable reason, life goes sideways, a little or a lot, unmet expectations. In the middle of those times, it's easy to become disillusioned or even angry with God. After all, in our minds, we did our part. Why didn't he do his? As we begin a teaching series on the events of Holy Week, we're going to look at a group of people who had major, unmet expectations of Jesus. For those of you who didn't grow up in church, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible are called the Gospels. They each record the life of Jesus while he lived on earth. Holy week is made up of the final week, or as Levi said, eight days really, of the life of Jesus just before his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Three out of four of those gospel books give one-third of their content to the events of holy week. The fourth gospel, the Gospel of John, dedicates literally half of its pages to the events of Holy Week. I don't know about you, but what that tells me is that understanding the significance of what took place during Holy Week is really important. After all, there have been some pretty incredible events throughout history of mankind. But the single most important event in the history of the world, bar none, took place roughly 2,000 years ago. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing has ever and nothing will ever change the course of eternity more. So, buckle your seatbelts, ladies and gentlemen, because this morning we launch into a five-week study of some of the details surrounding the Easter story. Let's get started. We're gonna begin with a narrative story the church historically looks at on Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter Sunday. Go ahead and if you need to, even push pause and grab your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 21. You can use your phone or a computer if you like as well. Matthew was a tax collector who left literally everything to follow Jesus. He was one of the original 12 disciples or apostles. Many scholars believe that the book of Matthew was the first of the four Gospels to be written. This morning, we're gonna be looking at what's called the triumphal entry. This was a key event in the life of Jesus that we find actually in all four of the Gospels. The triumphal entry kicks off the beginning Of Holy Week. Follow along as I read Matthew 21 verses 1 through 11. After we read the text, we'll discover why this event in the life of Jesus was so significant. And more importantly, we'll look at what we can apply to our lives today. As we look at this text, it'll be helpful to keep two things in mind. First of all, Jesus and his disciples are making their way to the city of Jerusalem, the capital city for the Jews. They're going there in part to celebrate what's called the Passover feast. Some of you are very familiar with the Passover feast and others are not. But let me say this, Passover was the most significant celebration for the Jews to remember. And it was remembering how God saved their ancestors from slavery in Egypt many, many years ago. In the book of Exodus, we read that God's people were instructed to sacrifice a lamb and put some blood of that lamb around the doorframe of their houses in order to be protected from the judgment that God would bring on the Egyptians. God instructed his people to make the trip to Jerusalem each and every year to celebrate to remember how he had delivered their ancestors in that way through a a Passover lamb. Now the second thing to keep in mind as we go through this text is that on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, Jesus and the disciples will pass through two small towns just outside of Jerusalem. If you have a a map in your Bible, you might want to look at this. The first is a town called Bethany. And the second is mentioned in our text called, a town called Bethphage. The Gospel of John tells us that while they were on their way to Jerusalem for the Passover, Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead in the town of Bethany. Now when a guy dies, and three years later, three days later rather, someone shows up and raises him from the dead, People tend to notice that. They tend to spread that news. And so as a result, the popularity of Jesus has grown now to the most that it's ever been, especially in that region. If not everyone, almost everyone in that area has heard about Jesus the teacher and Jesus the miracle worker. Okay, let's look at the text. Follow along as I read Matthew 21 verses 1 through 11. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, and the prophet that he's going to quote now is Zechariah, found in Zechariah 9.9. He says, Say to the daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went on and did just as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, while this event that's just been described is incredibly significant, it's actually pretty simple. Jesus and his close followers approached the town of Bethphage shortly after Lazarus was raised from the dead. John chapter 11 actually states that after Lazarus was raised from the dead, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, who were already threatened by the popularity of Jesus, actually uh, began to actively plot to kill Jesus. A few details in the text are given, but Jesus essentially rides a borrowed donkey from Bethphage into the city gate of Jerusalem. The city is filled with people, Many or most have heard about Jesus and how he teaches and does miracles. We're told the large crowds cheered and shouted, Hosanna, and they laid palm branches and spread their cloaks on the ground in front of the donkeys or donkey carrying Jesus. What a scene that must have been! We might say today that the people of the city were rolling out the red carpet for Jesus. He has to be pleased with this, right? Sadly, No, Jesus actually wasn't pleased. Many of you know the story. Jesus was not happy about the outpouring of praise. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke chapter 19, it says that he wept. Jesus cried over the city of Jerusalem because he understood that the Jews, God's chosen people, had totally missed what his life mission was about. Sure, Crowds were cheering Hosanna, which actually means save. But they were more interested in Jesus saving them from their earthly problems. Not all, but most of the Jewish people at that time rejected him for who he was. Literally, God in flesh. What earthly problems did the Jewish people have? Well, for decades before Jesus was even born, Jerusalem and the surrounding area was occupied and controlled by the Romans. If you didn't fall in line, pay your taxes, and do what you were told, you paid a heavy, heavy price. By this time in history, many Jews had actually been enslaved, tortured, or killed by the Romans. It's no wonder that when people heard about a prophet from Nazareth, a a fellow Jew Who could do miracles and even raise the dead, they quickly began to look to him to provide relief from the oppression of Rome. So here's the first point that we don't want to miss. When we think about the triumphal entry of Jesus in Jerusalem, it's important to remember that the Jewish people shouted his praises because they wanted Jesus to fix their earthly problems. Instead, they got a Jesus who came to fix their eternal problems, and here's the tragedy. They missed it. How do we know this? Just a few days later, this same crowd who were waving palm branches and laying their cloaks on the ground would be shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! As Jesus stood before the Roman governor, Pilate. And we'll get more into that, the details of that in future weeks. Here's the truth. Although their, eternal, their earthly problems were real and they were important and they were more difficult than we can imagine, they paled in comparison to the eternal and spiritual problems that they had. If Jesus wasn't willing to come and to go to the cross each and every one of them would have been left to try to take care of their sin debt on their own. At some point, as sinful human beings, they would have had to stand before a holy and a righteous God and give account for their sins. That's an impossible task, and it would be a dreadful task. Instead, Jesus, God in human flesh, embraced his calling to undergo an excruciating death in their place and in our place. In fact, Jesus deliberately provoked the events that would lead to his death. The triumphal entry is all a part of that plan. Jesus was very clear why he came to earth. In Luke 19, Jesus told a man by the name of Zacchaeus, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus didn't come to condemn people, He came to save people from the eternal consequences of sin. Church, there's no better news than that. So, one significant truth we learn from the triumphal entry is this Jesus doesn't always meet our expectations and we should be glad that he doesn't. The Jewish people of the day believe that if Jesus was truly the long-awaited Messiah, he would certainly begin by leading a revolt to overthrow Rome. Unmet expectations for sure. How about you and I? What expectations do you and I have of the way God should operate if he really is the good God that he says he is? Thankfully, thankfully, You and I know nothing about living under Roman occupation. None of us has ever watched a close friend or family member be crucified. But maybe you've thought something like this to yourself. If God is good, he wouldn't allow so much pain and suffering in my life and in the world. If God is good, I wouldn't be in such a bad financial situation. If God is good, I would have been healthy, and I wouldn't have these health issues that I do. If God is really good, I would be happily married right now. If God is really good, my family member would still be alive. If God is good, I would be working in a job that I actually enjoy. Or my son or my daughter would be living differently. If God was good, I would have been born thinner or taller or better looking, or you fill in the blank. If God were good, my life wouldn't have turned out the way that it has. You can fill in the details, but have you ever had thoughts like that? Now, I'm not in any way trying to minimize the fact that the life on earth here for the Jews and for us is difficult. Nor am I trying to deny that there are times when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations. He doesn't always do what we think he ought to do. Thank God that he doesn't, but that brings times of confusion at times. So what should we do when God doesn't meet our expectations? I'm confident most, if not all of us, don't want to join the crowd that shouted, crucify him. I'm also confident that We've all had and will continue to have times when God doesn't make sense. Let me leave you this morning or this afternoon, whenever you're listening, with three suggestions to consider in those times when God fails to meet our earthly expectations. First of all, expect that it will happen. Expect that it will happen. None of us should be surprised that pain and suffering are a part of our existence here on earth. When sin entered the world, back in the Garden of Eden, our world and God's good design became distorted and broken. Jesus, while he was here on earth, was pretty clear about that reality. He himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus also said, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross daily. The Apostle Paul spoke often about the fact that authentic followers of Jesus will suffer in this life. Church, when life is difficult, confusing, and even painful, we don't need to be surprised by that fact. This uh, coronavirus and even the time that we're experiencing now is is evidence of that. We have many opportunities to, to be the light and salt that point others to Jesus. God is not singling us out to punish us. God takes no joy in the fact that his people suffer. He actually hates it. He died and suffered an eternity's worth of pain so that our suffering would be limited to this earth. Be encouraged. There's no disappointment or suffering in heaven. That's the good news. The bad news is that we're not there yet. We live in a broken world. Our pain is real, but it won't last forever. When life gets rough, God's not taking you to the woodshed. He's not mad at you. He's already poured out his wrath on Jesus so that he could offer us grace and mercy. But he doesn't always respond as we want. One of my favorite truths from the Bible comes from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That leads me to suggestion number two. When God doesn't meet our expectations, we all need to decide for ourselves who Jesus is. Is he God? Or is he simply a consultant? When life doesn't make sense, when God doesn't respond the way we think he he should, when our prayers don't get answered, each one of us must decide who Jesus is. Is he the almighty, loving, and wise God who created the universe? Or is he some kind of magical consultant we go to once in a while when trouble comes our way? church, there's a huge difference between the two. If your life and my life, in, in your life and in my life, is Jesus the God of the universe who's capable of, as his word says, working all things together for good? Is Jesus fully God and are his ways higher than our ways? In those moments when Jesus doesn't make sense, we'd be wise to trust that God knows what he's doing. One of the best illustrations I've ever heard of the truth in Isaiah 55 involves needlepoint or cross stitch. If you've ever seen a a needlepoint or a cross stitch framed and put behind glass and hanging on a wall, when you look at it, it looks like a picture. But when you flip it over on the backside, all you see are threads going different directions. You might not even be able to make out the pattern. Well, that bottom view where we don't even see how one thread relates to another is our view here on earth. God sees things from the top side. He's weaving a masterpiece into this world we aren't able to appreciate until heaven. The question of who Jesus is, God or consultant, is incredibly relevant to our lives today. We live in a world where morality and what's right or wrong have been simply redefined. One author I read this week asked this significant question, and I'd like to have you consider it individually. Do you and I have a Jesus who aligns with our worldview and our form of morality, or do you and I have a worldview and a morality that aligns with Jesus? I'm sure I'm not the only one who's ever heard people say things like, well, I know this isn't maybe right, but I just think Jesus would be okay with it. It's as if they think they get to create the Jesus that they will be willing to follow. Many of the Jews in Jesus' day did the same thing. My Messiah would deal with the sin of the Romans. In reality, Jesus had a bigger plan. He would deal with the sin of the Romans. But he was also going to deal with the sin of the Jews. Many rejected the real Savior because he didn't look like the one they made up in their minds. Church, friends, such peace can be had when we settle in our hearts and minds that Jesus is the Lord of all. He's powerful, He's loving. He's working his good and his perfect plan out moment by moment, even when we don't see it. And that brings us to the final suggestion I have for us. When when we don't understand and when God doesn't meet our expectations, trust that God and his plan for our life is good, even when we can't see how. One of my favorite Bible teachers and authors is a guy by the name of Dr. Larry Crabb, and Dr. Crabb actually got his PhD from the University of Illinois, but that's not the only reason I like him. Years ago, I read in one of his books this statement. He said, the core sin of mankind is doubting the goodness of God. That's quite a statement. The core sin of mankind is doubting the goodness of God. He went on to describe how Satan in the Garden of Eden had planted a seed of doubt in Adam and Eve's mind about the goodness of God. He got them to believe that God was holding out on them rather than protecting them. That God's forbidding them from eating the tr- from the tree of knowledge was somehow about keeping them from something good. Well, we all know how that worked out. Adam and Eve found out very quickly that God was in fact good. He was actually protecting them and not holding out on them. Church, every one of us needs to decide if we're going to choose by faith to believe that God is good and His plan for our lives is good, even when we don't see how. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, Submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. This is not a promise that everything in our lives is always going to go well. It's a proven principle that trusting in God's plan for our lives rather than following our own plan is simply a much better choice. Adam and Eve would have been wise to do so. Friends, when suffering, persecution, pain, confusion and disappointment in God's plan comes, and it will, choose to trust that God is good and somehow his plan for our lives is as well. We may not always see it because we can only see things from our limited earthly view, but God is at work today just as much as he was when Jesus uh, was taken down from the cross and put in the tomb. The people had put their hope the people who had put their hope in an earthly king who would free them from Rome lost all hope at that time. But let me remind you, the whole crowd didn't give up on Jesus. His disciples and many of his closest followers stuck with him. They didn't understand the plan, but they trusted. And on that first Easter Sunday, when they came to understand that a delayed promise is not a broken promise they were thankful they did. Let me say that again. A delayed promise is not a broken promise. Nobody gets through this life without some amount of pain and hardship. It's universal. Even people who have a smile on their face may be dying on the inside. Church, we should never assume that someone that we meet has it better than we do. We don't know for sure. With that said, I'm aware that some of you listening right now have had and are dealing with some very difficult circumstances. When the pain and the pressure get intense enough, it's easy to begin to question the goodness of God and His plan. It's easy to give up confidence in God's love for us and no longer trust Him. If that's you this morning... Thanks for listening to this message. That alone is a sign of your desire to continue to put your trust in the Lord. Church, there's a lot going on right now. I kind of suspect that uh, there's some level of fear and panic that way exceeds uh, what we're actually dealing with. But but either way, there's a lot of things going on in, in life right now. What we need to do is cling to the truth that God loves us. He has a good plan and he's working this situation and all situations out for our good. We simply need to trust the process. This life, thankfully, is just the beginning. Now, I wanna close and, and pray for us and uh, be sure to continue to check back on the church website and uh, we'll, we'll communicate as much as we can what will take place in this next week or so. But one thing we don't wanna do is give up uh, connecting with the Lord and connecting in smaller groups and through, uh, through electronic ways with our, our brothers and sisters. And, and be sure to pray, Lord, how can you use me right now to be a blessing to others that uh, are around me? Let me pray and then we'll be done. Lord, thank you so much for uh, living this life on earth that you did. Uh, it was a, a difficult life. It was a painful life. Uh, you were willing to humble yourself yourself in the first place, to leave the wonders of heaven, uh, to come here to earth to live. And uh, even though people um, were difficult and even mistreated you, uh, even though it involved being crucified on a Roman cross, you were willing to do it and, and take care of our sin problem. And so we thank you for that. And your triumphal entry into that season of life when you approach the cross is the best example we can ever see that even though things don't look good or they don't look like what we think they should, behind the scenes in a a way that's uh, higher than our ability to understand. You're working your good plan out for our lives, and we thank you for that. Lord, I pray for for the church at at Crossroads Napoleon and anyone else listening. I pray that you would grant peace, that you would grant us as individuals and as a, a church family collectively the opportunity to let our light shine well among our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers during this season. We do pray for Uh, medical workers, for our leaders that have to make difficult decisions. Uh, Lord, we pray for anyone that would actually contract this coronavirus, Lord, that uh, you would touch them, that you would heal them, that you would use medications and others to heal them as well. May somehow and in some way you be honored and glorified during this season in our nation's history and really the, the world's history. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.